0: Hello and welcome to this new episode of the EPP Group podcast. My name is Ana Gumbau, I'm a climate and energy journalist, and I'll be your host in today's episode. Today we will be talking about climate change. The UN Climate Summit at COP27 is just around the corner, and this will be a make-or-break event for the climate. The earth keeps burning, we are seeing natural disasters from floods to forest fires in Europe in the past year, and we need to ensure that the world is on track to reach the objectives of the Paris Agreement. A delegation of members of the European Parliament will be heading to Egypt, to Sharm el-Sheikh, where COP27 will be taking place. And today I'm sitting with one of the members of the European Parliament, who will be joining the negotiations. I'm here with MEP Lidia Pereira from the EPP Group, a Portuguese member of the European Parliament and also the president of the Youth of the European People's Party. So, Ms. Pereira, welcome. Hello, thank you so much
1: for inviting me (laughs) to take part.
0: Great that you are joining us. Um, You are going to uh, Sharm el-Sheikh in just a few uh, days. You were also, I believe, in the previous delegation that went to uh, to COP26 in Glasgow last year. What are the expectations of this COP, um, maybe compared with last year's COP? What were perhaps the outstanding issues in Glasgow that will be coming back to the surface in uh, Sharm el-Sheikh?
1: Yeah, well, the context has changed dramatically. Uh, At the moment, we have a war at the gates of Europe. And um, it's pretty much evident that Europe cannot uh, keep relying on its energy uh, system as it stands. So this is very different uh, from last year's uh, COP uh, in Glasgow. And I would say that because of that, uh, the, the group priority, the EPP group priorities are also in line with this new reality that we are uh, living in. So the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, shows us that we have to rapidly transform the global energy system, uh, particularly on energy independence, and of course to boost the investment in renewables. Renewables are much more reliable sources than of uh, energy than uh, other uh, categories have, um, uh, compared to fossil fuels, for example. Then there's another point, which is uh, still pending uh, since last year, which is the uh, 100 billion climate finance goal uh, to be met from both public and private sources. Uh, and, and money should already be disbursed in 2022 to finance the climate transition and help, in particular, the less developed, developed countries. And this is quite uh, sensitive because we cannot expect that developing countries can do uh, the same that Europe is doing. And we must underline that Europe is doing quite an effort. Um, it's not only the leader uh, in the fight against climate change, but actually uh, the regulatory framework that has been adopted uh, in the past 12 months uh, goes in line with the objective to be climate neutral by 2050. Um, another. Uh, Another element that I think is um, important uh, uh, for uh, the EPP and that we we will uh, advocate for again uh, in this conference is the importance of innovation and private initiative uh, in the development of new clean technologies that help in the mitigation and adaptation to climate change. Um, I think... We all understand uh, that it is uh, quite ambitious to meet the climate goals we have, um, be it intermediate or the final ones, climate neutrality by 2050. And the only way we can actually achieve it or even be um, uh, carbon uh, negative uh, by 2050 is if we boost um, innovation and technology and that we can uh, scale up uh, all the startups that um, are uh, developing their projects around um, uh, the climate change mitigation and adaptation, but for that it is really, really crucial that uh, Europe um, really unblocks uh, some obstacles that still exist uh, to scale up uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the business atmosphere. Uh, and invest of course in innovation and uh, make sure that the private sector is well involved uh, one last remark is that um uh the eu um and this has this is a, a epp priority but also a parliament position in the cop 27 the eu is leading the fight against climate change and um we shall continue as the largest contributor to climate finance um, to developing countries, so this is very important that we have everyone on board, but at the same time that Europe helps and supports the ones that are lagging behind uh, in um, uh, in their um, achievements for uh, climate neutrality because in the end of the day this is a global challenge. This is not only a European challenge.
0: Let me just maybe pick up on on some of the uh, aspects that you that you mentioned and go through these key messages in a bit more detail. If we look at the current context, um, it's clear that uh, that Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that Russia's war in Ukraine, has fundamentally changed the the context that we are that we are living in, and as well the the the, the policy discourse around energy and and climate. I believe that uh, there's uh, let's say these two views, right? Those who are saying that uh, you know that this is the time to like even accelerate. Uh, further the the fight against climate change and the transition to, to renewables, and then there's of course those who acknowledge that um, of course the current context like makes it more difficult to uh, to to boost renewables to, to accelerate clean energy that we are first um, in this need of tackling these you know short term uh, issues in terms of uh, high energy prices and so on rather than looking at long term. Where do you think Europe, Europe stands on, on, on that? Where do you think, uh, which narrative do you think dominates perhaps the EU's policy discourse and the, the negotiations of so many energy and, and climate files that we are seeing right now?
1: Well, I think uh, one of the pledges of the European Commission has been, uh, and also something that the EPP has been defending, is uh, to have a true um, Union uh, energy union. Um, But I must say that I see with a bit of um, um, discontent mode, uh, for example, the agreement that was achieved between Portugal, Spain and France in terms of energy, uh, which does not privilege in any sense the uh, renewable energies and the potential for renewable energies uh, and for cheap energy uh, to curb the energy prices, um, this is a this is not the path for a true uh, energy union. Uh, and for that, I, I have to make this remark because everyone is very uh, concerned with the the energy uh, dependency or independency. Um, but in the end of the day, I think if we really want to be um, a power. Um, a political power in in, in, in the world, um, we cannot keep on uh, going with these bilateral agreements uh, in terms of energy, because uh, in the end of the day, it does not um, help the unity of Europe. And I'm saying this because I really think that uh, Emmanuel Macron, unfortunately, is the face of uh, selfishness. Uh, Lately, and he, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, is always advocating for uh, very pro-European ideas, which I very much cherish. But when you see uh, the action (laughs) of his uh, policies, it's rather the contrary. So uh, when we talk about the future, the future is renewables. The future um, of the uh, renewables are today cheaper than other sources of energy. Uh, so I, I have to make this comment because uh, I mean politically it does not go in the in the sign that I think the European Commission has been um, um, has been developing programs like the Repower You and, and others, right? Um, so, but when this is one side of the coin, the other side is um, we really have to facilitate the access to uh, finance from uh, small and medium sized enterprises. Um, in Europe, in comparison to, uh, to the US, for example, um, I've been saying this, our capital markets union is not uh, functional for the challenges we have in terms of climate change. And so uh, I think it's one of the, it's not directly related to COP27. It's something more about Europe. It's a uh, domestic issue, if I may. Um, but if we really want uh, to keep being the leaders in the fight against uh, climate change, uh, this will be crucial to make sure that all the ideas uh, that flourish in Europe in terms of startups and others, that they remain in Europe and that uh, they don't have issues or constraints in growing up, in scaling up. Um, and for that, um, a capital markets union full um, fully fledged would, would be very very interesting. So I think it's one of the priorities. Of course, time is running, and um, we don't have. We have to keep moving forward and adapting. Um, but I would say that this is uh, something that Europe also has to consider, because what we see um, in the US is that there's a window of opportunity for business, right, uh, for climate mitigation. Um, but uh, in 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 Europe, we started this. Um, we have been developing the regulatory framework we are still not uh in a very comfortable position on the uh on the on the on on making uh businesses lives easier um related to uh, to environment this is one side of the co- of of the uh of the problems we have in Europe um and we are talking about something that uh you know it's business-minded. Then we have another issue, which is adaptation to climate change, which is not necessarily an attractive uh, business uh, opportunity, right? But that's another thing that we also have to focus on. Um, but I would say um, uh, uh, investing or, or investing our efforts in boosting the capacity of the Capital Markets Union and uh, getting rid of the obstacles that we still have it would be crucial to leverage upon the challenges we have in terms of climate finance.
0: And coming back to the topic of, of climate finance, I believe in order to achieve the 100 billion uh, objective you've mentioned, of course, the, that this is the public institutions and governments that, that contributing to that, but then also the private sector. Where do you see the role of private sector in unleashing the the climate finance and bridging the gap that currently that there's currently right now in in terms of the of the global place it has been made for, uh, for developing and, and, and least developed countries.
1: Private initiative is crucial in this process. Uh, we cannot only, we cannot rely only upon uh, the public sources because if we rely on that, we don't do anything. Um, uh, so what we have to do is to, uh, as I said previously, uh, is to develop some sort of uh, incentives pol- uh, policies for, with incentives um, for the private sector to be uh, to be involved, and that can perfectly cooperate with the public sector uh, on these on this front. Look at the research that was done during the before we had the vaccines um, for COVID nineteen. It was both public and private, um, but the contribution of the private sector was enormous. Um, so I think we have to to strike a balance between two, the two of them. But I would say it's very crucial that uh, the private sector remains committed. Um, We have a public support completely different uh, if we compare it to 10 years ago in terms of uh, climate change. 10 years ago, if we talked about climate change, it was not an issue. And today we have uh, alliances of of businesses, of companies that are committed to the, the goals. And this is a matter of sustainability. Like if we cannot protect our world, if we cannot protect our uh, territories and our communities, I mean, then the life of businesses as well is at stake as the life of uh, human beings um, to a larger uh, extent. So um, in the end of the day, what we, I think the key element of this is sustainability. And to achieve sustainability, we have, we need each and every uh, stakeholder. Uh, We need households, we need organizations, we need communities, we need the city councils, the regional parliaments, everyone um, at uh, from e- from every level of governance involved, and of course um, the private sector is part of our society, and it's very important that we, they they keep being also pushing for uh, for this agenda, and this is something that is happening in the various meetings that we have. Uh, we hear the businesses committed to um, achieve the climate goals, Um, they are aware of the huge investments that they have to make. Um, And for some of them, it's particularly more difficult if we talk about the SMEs, for example, uh, because the access to financing is a little bit more complicated. Um, But uh, I see very positively the role of the private initiative in uh, filling the gap uh, to finance uh, climate change, climate mitigation. Um, but I remain very, you know, hopeful uh, in 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 that regard, because also the parliament position, uh, the European parliament position underlines the importance of private initiative. And I think it's a good sign uh, for all, all other counterparts in the world.
0: Probably during COP27, we're going to be seeing, you know, new climate pledges and new uh, initiatives at, at global level. And something that we've been seeing is plenty of, you know, climate neutrality net zero pledges coming from from several countries but then if we look at the at the shorter term what we are seeing is that there's still a lack of um, of ambitious plans to to reduce emissions to peak emissions in the um, in the short term I think that um, the last uh, the last statistics are that if we right now would be putting together all the uh, Climate pledges from all um, uh, global count- from all countries or from all over the world. I think we would probably be uh, increasing the global temperature by two point four. So that would be, of course, worse than much worse than the objectives of the Paris Agreement would say, with the devastating consequences this would bring. So uh, perhaps two questions here. So first of all. Can the EU do better and, and considering increasing its own ambition? And second of all, what can the EU do to encouraging uh, more climate action? Where do you see the role of the EU in that? I mean,
1: I, I let me underline this. There's no other large economic blo- bloc in the world, uh, USA, USA, China, Japan or any other in G20 outside the European Union that is doing more than the European Union. I think we should say this because... We are undoubtedly the front runners, Um, but of course, we can still and we we have to improve some areas, uh, particularly, um, we we talked already about that, the scaling up, the innovative, clean technology startups, it's one of them. Um, But in relation to that, I think COP27 uh, is also a moment to step up in uh, climate diplomacy. Uh, We need to bring others on board. Uh, to improve our results in, in in order to limit the temperature rise to not more than two degrees. So basically what you're, you you're saying, but uh, it is very, very crucial that uh, the other geographies in the world are in this process. And I think the EU is very much committed to that as we've been always. Um, what can we do more uh, for ambition? I mean, we can talk about, like, we have the Feed for 55 um but I can, um, for example, think about other examples of uh, technologies uh, that can um, that should be considered to be implemented in in the in the short or medium term. And I'm referring in particular to carbon capture, utilization, and storage. Um, I mean, these are the kind of, of technologies that have a, a, a substantial. Are a huge potential to ease the challenge of uh, reaching uh, climate neutrality by 2050. So that's what we were discussing about having uh, enabling uh, more technologies uh, to make sure that we can achieve the climate neutrality by 2050. So we we really need to um, step up the raising awareness uh, on CCS and CCU. Uh, this technology has a, a role to play in our energy transition. And this is relevant to, uh, to refer, given the situation that Europe is at the moment. Uh, but it still suffers from many, many myths and even uh, misconceptions. And uh, um, in light of that, I actually am now part of uh, a new group um, that was launched recently. And I have the pleasure to co-chair. I'm referring to the Clean Tech Friendship Group, uh, it is an informal uh, grouping of members of the European Parliament who support uh, the European Union clean tech technologies. Um, we believe that these and uh, en- the energy and climate crisis are an opportunity for the European Union uh, for to innovate for more competitiveness as well. And um, uh, so we are uh, looking forward to work together to promote the most ambitious uh, climate, energy, and economic policies to support the next generation of uh the EU and industry um and i'm saying this because uh well uh, about the private initiative this is where the private initiative also plays a, a huge role and that that's uh, uh, and we want to bring them all together and show that uh, there's a lot of opportunities here in Europe um we it has been in european soil that uh, most of the technologies um um uh, we need um, were developed here, so to get net zero, uh, to reach energy security, to build the industry of the next uh, century. So the, the, the most difficult part so far is actually to, that it's the time to scale these technologies, um, to deploy them um, uh, widely, and hopefully grow a new uh, and a much greener economy. So uh, this is where I see that Europe uh, still has its own work to do.
0: I think there are some very exciting developments happening in the field of of clean technology and investors uh, in Europe developing these uh, new industries and startups and 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 really exciting projects ahead taking place in our continent. So. I'm sure that all of us will be very happy to following the the work of the Clean Tech Friendship Group. Perhaps a, a couple more things on uh, on the global uh, dimension in in climate change. I think inevitably, if we look at at the upcoming COP, I mean this is going to be the the COP in in Egypt. Uh, Many dub it as the African COP in Sharm el Sheikh. Um, that's one of the topics that is going to be uh, inevitably discussed there, which is the issues around loss and damage, the compensation to um nations more affected by climate change and, and and least developed nations by those nations who have perhaps a more who have a more historical uh role and weight in terms of uh in terms of the global emissions. So could could you tell us what the the EU's position or what what the EU intends to 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 do in this front and how do you think the negotiations and, and the talks around loss and damage will be will be developing?
1: Um, well, it's uh, another critical point. Um, uh, but uh, l- let me underline it once again that uh, the EU is the largest contributor uh, for climate finance to developing countries. And we are when we are talking about loss and damage, a lot of these, uh, a lot of countries that are uh, suffering most with uh, climate change uh, come from uh, developing countries. But not only um, uh, Portugal and Spain, according to the IPCC. A report uh, last year they are the 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 the, the region in Europe um, most affected to be to, that they expect to be most affected by climate change and we can see already a lot of climate change effects uh, that are irreversible um, so how are we gonna cope with the uh, with this uh, it's uh, it's a big a big topic um, loss and, and damage indeed um, I think it's the new, not necessarily new, but it will be um, a central uh, point uh, during this conference um, because uh, last year uh, one of the one of the, the, the discussions was around uh, adaptation to climate change, and still very very little um, the space that uh, climate adaptation has when we discuss about environment is very limited. Um, but I think uh, I, I still recall the words of the Minister for Environment from the Maldives. Uh, she told me that 40% of uh, the state budget goes every year to um, climate adaptation. And, and therefore, we really have to um, uh, find a solution in, in in this front, in particular in what you asked me, loss and damage. But for that, we really have um Uh, we really have to invest on our climate diplomacy because uh, people matter in in these conferences and uh, we will see who are the interlocutors that are going to exchange views and align certain positions. Um, But I would say it is uh, is important. And of course, the EU uh, is committed to um, find the best uh, agreement possible. Um, knowing that uh, it's it's always a very difficult uh, discussion.
0: Absolutely. Going back to the topic of climate adaptation and, and especially on, on the impact of climate change in, in Europe, do you think that European governments, European policymakers are putting enough attention to climate adaptation, to, to adaptation to the impacts on, on climate change? I get the feeling... That the discourse mainly, or that we mainly debate and talk about, how we are going to uh, reduce our emissions and Fit for 55, for instance, it's all about that, on 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 reduction and and to some extent also on elimination of greenhouse gases. But are we talking nearly enough about about adaptation?
1: No, I think climate adaptation has been always uh, together with the oceans are always the two uh, topics uh, rather. Neglected when we address uh, climate change or environment or sustainability. Um, the main reason for that is because it requires um, in money uh, investments to adapt our infrastructures, uh, raise awareness in the communities, and so on. So, uh, and it's 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 money invested that you don't see necessarily the return immediately, right? Um, but that that's one of the the main problems. But adaptation to climate change and, 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 and the oceans uh, also have to be more um, we have to talk more about them because uh, well there was a conference uh, for of the oceans uh, the, that was promoted by the United Nations and was it was in in Lisbon uh, this year which I don't in my view it was not a very it was not a successful conference uh, We didn't have many heads of state, uh, Delivering uh, addressing uh, this conference, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Emmanuel Macron was the only one uh, that attended. um, And I mean, his intervention was quite limited. It was it fell in the same week of the G20 or G7 meetings. I don't remember. But anyway, anyhow, um, oceans. If we don't have sustainable oceans, we will never have a sustainable planet. And unfortunately, the oceans, together with climate change, with adaptation to climate change, are often not are, are not referred um, in the public discourse as climate change usually uh, is. But um, the main reasons is, I would say, the the investment, the financing uh, need for adaptation, um, and the and, and and the fact that you don't see the return immediately. Uh, but the truth is that uh, extreme weather events are becoming more frequent, and inevitably we will have to take action because it makes no sense that um, uh, uh, even for water supply and, and others that uh, in, in countries where droughts are more are already more frequent, how we're going to manage when in the times that we have uh, situations of floods? Um, I mean, it, it is it is really necessary to reflect upon that upon this. And also looking look at the oceans uh, with different eyes. Um, I come from a, a country that is surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean and by Spain, um, Portugal, um, but uh, it is, uh, it is uh, undeniable that um, the, 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 the public discourse on oceans really has to change as well. There has to be leadership. There has to be vision to protect our oceans um and um, replant our oceans um and it's not given the same centrality uh, as it should i mean i know we have to pick priorities um but in the end of the day we are talking about ecosystems we are talking uh a sustainable planet and the oceans are a big part of of our planet and therefore i think uh, we should have a different approach towards that
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely because at the end of the day it boils down to like our animal biodiversity the, the plants that live in our oceans, the different carbon sinks. Uh, exactly, because, the uh, carbon mm-hmm.
1: carbon sinks. Uh, I mean, oceans are are uh, are very relevant uh, for the carbon storage. So uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's very important mm-hmm. if when we talk about CO two emissions. I mean, oceans are big players here.
0: Mm-hmm. I think we could have a full uh, podcast uh, episode just uh, just on this matter, which is which is crucial as well.
1: Yeah, I think we should. I think we should do one just on oceans and, uh, and, and, and water um, because one on oceans and another one on water management in Europe, I think it's also uh, very important. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Indeed, I'll pitch the idea. Just perhaps one last question then. Uh, what needs to happen, really must happen at COP 27, so that we are still able to reach the objectives under the, under the Paris Agreement?
1: Well, I think we, we really have to make sure that uh, the US and China, uh, mostly these ones, are these two um, blocks, are on board. Um, Europe uh, makes the triang- triangle <laughs> with uh, the USA and, and, and China, and it's always in a, a difficult situation. Uh, but it is, I would say, it is very, very important uh, that um, these two countries are really committed uh, to the challenges we have ahead of us. Um, they are the biggest and the most powerful economies, or some of the most powerful economies in the world, and for that, we really have to have uh, to invest on multilateralism to make sure that we achieve uh, some uh, some milestones um, in terms of climate diplomacy with these two geographies. But let me strengthen that uh, in, in COP 26. Of course, um, there was a bit of um, disappointment from the public opinion. I don't see that. Uh, I, I don't necessarily share uh, the disappointment because there were some deals that were possible to be made between the US and China, and means that these conferences work because otherwise we wouldn't have uh, the agreement on methane and the, and the and the CO2 emissions so, and the the share of uh, best practices. I mean, I think it was positive somehow, given that we are talking about two economic blocks that geopolitically are opponents uh, and even big competitors. Uh, But but I would underline that uh, in COP27, we have to insist on the importance of of having the US and China uh, together with the EU pushing for the the agenda of sustainability and uh, the fight against climate change.
0: And I think it's it's very interesting uh, talking about, again around the issues around partnerships. I remember at COP twenty six we saw this landmark agreement for South Africa to end up its uh, its production of coal. We're talking to one of the about one of the largest uh, coal producers, and the, the model it seems to be replicated in in other countries that are highly dependent on coal. And this is really, I believe, where again the partnerships and and the leadership from this main uh, let's say blocks in climate diplomacy uh, take an important an important role. So thank you very much, uh, MVP Pereira, for having joined us today. Wish you and all the EPP uh, delegation at Sharm El Sheikh the best.
1: Thank you so much. And uh, see you in another podcast, maybe about the oceans.
0: <laughs> yes, let's uh, let's keep that in mind. Thanks to all of you, to everyone in the audience who have joined us uh, in listening into this episode. Make sure to follow the EPP group on our social media, and we will see you all in our next episode. Thank you very much.